seated again. Welcome to Mercy Fellowship. My name is Chris. I'm the lead pastor here. And here at Mercy Fellowship, we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus Christ. And we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people. And so I'm just so glad you guys have chosen to gather with us in person or online because I know that there's probably like 17 hours of Super Bowl pregame going on, like deep analysis, like Tom Brady's old, Patrick Mahomes is young. Mm-hmm. And somebody wearing red is going to win today. So I'm so glad that you guys uh, are here. I just have to mention the Super Bowl as a pastor on Super Bowl Sunday. It's part of my contract. So now we're, we're there. We can move on. So um, what we're going to do today is look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 14 uh, through chapter 3, verse 6. And as you're turning there, um, it, it is okay for us to think a little bit uh, about Super Bowl stuff. So like, right, seven years ago, uh, on Friday, I believe it was, uh, there was that massive victory parade in downtown Seattle. Was anyone there? Anyone, anyone there? We got some hands up, okay? I, I watched it online. Uh, I was working that day. Um, and, and, you know, but when we, when we see that scene, we think, man, that is victory. That's triumphant. That's bringing people together. Uh, and then anyone in the last year seen scenes of downtown Seattle? Right? Does it seem like victory? Or does it seem like defeat? And so we have to be able to be people, if we're, if we're in Christ, if we have our hope in, in more than just our circumstances, who are able to endure even when things seem less like that victory parade and more like defeat or even decay. And so part of that uh, comes to even thinking about um, uh, our own lives and, and, and the aroma that we put off in our own lives. And so uh, a question I just want to ask you uh, is, is, how do you smell? Like what's, what's the, the odor that kind of comes off and permeates your life? And is it, is, it, is it sweet and something that brings life to others? Or is it, is it a bit of a stench that maybe, you know, you're not even sure you like yourself and, and, and based on others around you, maybe they're not so interested in you as well either. And so again, we need to be able to understand how are we going to enjoy the sweet smell of victory and put off the stench of defeat? And, and how are we gonna, gonna uh, endure when we consume ideas and put on identities that actually make us weaker rather than bring us power? And how are we gonna go on when we finally come to the realization that we're not enough? And so if you would, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. It'll be up on the screen. Um, you can pull up on your app as well. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'm breaking this up into three sections. The first one is chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. I'll read it and we'll talk about it. Here's Paul writing to a church uh, in Corinth. Uh, it's got a lot of challenges. And he says this to these people. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? And so 
As we begin and we look at this and and we begin to consider what type of journey we're on for the Corinthian church, it was an incredibly difficult journey, right? We've talked about this division, immorality, greed. It's been painful for Paul in ministry. Certainly hasn't looked like just chalking up win after win, but more like the Cleveland Browns before 2020, right? Just loss after loss. Football analogies will be spread out throughout this entire thing. Again, I'm just required to do it. So, Um, So with this, Paul's transitioning from talking about these hardships, talking about the sin, talking about division and need for forgiveness, and then he just says, but thanks be to God. And there's, there's, I think, a bit of a dissonance because we're like, what do we have to be thankful for? And yeah, I mean, the sun's finally shining and, you know, there's probably always things you can find that that are blessings in your life, but, but when defeat seems more to permeate our lives than victory and, and, and discord seems to, to be there more than harmony and uh, like we have to understand how we're gonna keep enduring and so um, when you do any sort of counseling training and, and you talk to couples who are, are, are fighting or struggling with communicating, um, they say things like, hey, don't say never, right? You, you know, you never do the dishes. You know, you don't say always. You're always a jerk, right? And, and, and here Paul just goes right past that. He didn't, I guess, get the counseling training and goes right to like, hey, thanks be to God. The reason we can be thankful is because he is always, always, always leading us in triumphal procession. What Paul's talking about is, is, is not dissimilar to that, that victory parade scene that we think about with the Seahawks, but for, for uh, the Romans and the context that he was writing to, it was a very normative thing for when Rome would go out and, and conquer a new region or win a big battle, that this, this triumphant procession would go through uh, the, the center of town, uh, all the soldiers, uh, everyone's cheering victory. Uh, and in fact, actually, as we think about Aroma, they'd actually even have people with incense uh, and other things to like put out kind of like a nice smell that would just that's where you get the idea actually of sweet smell of victory and at the end of that procession would be the defeated enemy the prisoners of war or really if you think about in the context of Rome those who probably used to be free and now are oppressed and so Paul's saying well, we live in this culture, in this context that seems to be throwing a, a victory parade that they have triumphed, they have won, Rome is in charge. He said, no, but it's, it's actually our Christ, our King, who isn't just a one-time deal, but is always leading us in a procession of victory, even when things don't feel triumphant. He's saying, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, you can walk around with your head held high. You can puff your chest out a bit. You can have some steel in your spine because even when defeat feels more real than victory, he's reminding us what's theologically true, what's spiritually true, what's eternally true, that we are actually being led in that procession that in Christ we are being loved, like we're not alone. He's achieved victory and he's leading us through. And so instead, 
When difficulty strikes and affliction strikes and uh, our circumstances, even our own sin begins to harm us or harm others, it seems a lot less like we are uh, in a triumphant procession. There are times and moments and seasons where life feels a lot more like the trail of tears. If you know a bit of your U.S. history, you know that in the, the 1830s, the, the, the Seminole tribe, the Cherokee, several other tribes um, were, were, um, uh, found themselves, or rather had, had been living in what we know as of the Deep South. And, and the U.S. government started to, to round them up and march them out of Georgia and Florida and South Carolina, these like lush, or, you, know, you know, green places that they had been, and they marched them all the way to Oklahoma. If you've ever been to Oklahoma, you know nobody wants to go to Oklahoma. Nobody wants to go to Oklahoma. And so they found themselves not being led and loved by a Christ in triumphant procession, but instead they were taken from where they they, kind of wanted to be, like life was going, and they're being led on this march to a place they never wanted to go, to a destination that for sure was not better than where they were. And to be clear, there are times in our lives where our circumstances and sometimes even our own sin can take us from where we are comfortable, where we want to be, where we've been dwelling, and it it drives us to places we never even wanted to go. And yet we find ourselves then instead not chest puffed up, celebrating victory, but instead trail of tears, brought low, head down in despair, And so when we're limping along, endurance can be hindered, right? Because why would you even want to keep going on a journey if this is what the destination looks like? And so that's why it's so important for Paul in the midst of the difficulty the church is going through, in the midst even of their broken relationship, in the midst of sin, in the midst of all these things, that he wants to remind them, hey, where are you actually headed? Because the reality is, on whatever journey we're on, the destination we are going to determines our disposition during the journey. I'll say that again. The destination we're going to determines our disposition in the journey. So if you're on Trail of Tears, that's way different than family road trip to Disneyland. Disney World because it's open, Disneyland because it's closed, okay. Right? Like you're on your way to, to Disneyland, right? You're excited. You don't care how long that journey is because you know at the end it's Disneyland. And, and how different is it for some of you that have had homecomings when you go back for the birth of, birth of a niece or a nephew or you go back for a wedding than when you go back for a funeral or you go back because there was a divorce or you go back because a parent is, is dying or somebody's suffering, right? The destination determines our disposition. And so for Paul, he's reminding them that we are always being led in triumphal procession. Always means always. It means there's not a time we're not being led. So when we have relationship issues, when we have job loss, when we have societal instability, when we have just just difficulty parenting and navigating those relationships, when we see um, financial pressures, when our friends are hurting Or when we get that cancer diagnosis and we think, this destination is not going to be a good one. I'm on trail of tears. I'm not in triumphal procession. We can remember that we're not left alone. 
We are not marching morosely, aimlessly in a wilderness, just kind of wondering, is this, is this where it ends? But instead, we're not driven to a destination of defeat, but he says we are lovingly led by a God who's already achieved victory. He's already actually defeated death. He's already paid for sin. And so he's saying, hey, you know, when Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, and the Romans and the religious thought, yeah, it's finished, you're finished, we've defeated you, you're in the tomb. What Jesus meant was his work of paying for, of securing our life, of dealing with our sin was over. That battle is over. And then three days later when he resurrected again, that's a victory celebration, right? We are like, I don't even know, six, eight weeks away from celebrating Easter, Lord willing, together. And we're gonna remember that, that we're being led in a triumphant procession because what looked like defeat was actually victory. Where shame is despised, sin is atoned for, life and flourishing are ushered, and our eternity is secured. Again, don't forget the destination that we're on. And so I want you to ask yourself, what parade do you want to march in? Because the, the parade he's talking about, right, it's a victory parade of triumph that leads to greater life with God, and, 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 it, and it determines how we march what our life looks like as we're enduring, that the journey is gonna to lead to greater freedom and to life. It doesn't mean that, that everything's gonna be easy. It just, it just means that, that we know what our actual circumstances are, not just what we perceive them to be. But to be led by Christ in triumphal procession, um, it, it, sh- it should encourage you. Like, like, I, like I read this this week and I was like, always? I don't know how they feel always, but, but there was part of it. It's like, well, if this is true, then I can hold my head up high. Then I, then I can have hope in, in the midst of despair. And so it should be an encouragement for me. It should be an encouragement for you. But he says this, this procession, the purpose of it is, yes, your individual encouragement. But it's more than that. Because he says, we together are marching in this triumphant procession and we together are going to be spreading the aroma of life. And he says that aroma, that sweet smell of victory is that we are the ones who are going to bring the knowledge of God to people who don't know about God. To people who only know defeat, to people who only know despair, or people who have convinced themselves that victory is going to be found in themselves. People that think that they're marching in victory when in fact actually they're the defeated enemy in the back of the parade. And so we get to permeate a life-giving presence to a world that's been impacted by the stain and stench of death with the knowledge of God that brings life and freedom. And so it means that as we, as we are in this parade, you know, we're not just like waving to all the people that aren't in it. Like, look at me. I've been crowned Dairy Princess of Darrington, right? Do they have that? I don't know, probably Frontier, I don't know, what, right? But like, you know, that, that kind of like, look, I've earned this. And instead, we're in this procession where we're like, hey, you're, you're on the curb? No, no, get in the parade. Like, oh, no, no, you're marching on a trail of tears going this way? No, no, repent, turn, come join us in triumphant procession. 
Switch the parade you're in because one goes to Oklahoma and the other goes to eternal joy. Your choice, Oklahoma or joy. What's it going to be? I think we know, right? Oregon Trail, I bring that up all the time. People were willing to suffer dysentery in Utah just to get out of Oklahoma. Okay. There's a reason you know you're called to a place and a people. I'm called to the Northwest. So Oklahoma wouldn't be for me. All right, moving on. It's a parade of mercy and grace that we didn't earn. And so what that means for us is to be reminded then that um, what something is will determine what aroma it puts off. And so part of knowing that we're in this triumphant procession, that we're supposed to put off a a sweet-smelling aroma of the knowledge of God means that we have to look at who we are. See, when when I grew up... um, I grew up in Vancouver, Washington, uh, and the next town over is a town called Camas, and it's right on the Columbia River. It's in the shadow of Mount Hood. It is the entrance to the Columbia River Gorge. It is a geographically beautiful place. God was an amazing artist when he carved out the area that Camas is in. And yet people moved in there uh, a long time ago, uh, and you know people like to communicate, and part of how we communicate is uh, back in the day was this thing called paper. I still print my sermons because I'm old school like that. Um, and so Camus um, uh, was known uh, for having a paper mill. Anyone ever been near a paper mill? Anyone ever lived near a paper mill? Did, did ever used to have one? I mean, I'm not from here. Like, like, did ever used to have one, right? Paper mills? No one's ever, like in the realtor notes, like territorial view near the paper mill. Do you know why? Paper mills stink. Like they smell really bad. Like we always knew if we were on a boat ride in the Columbia, uh-oh, we're getting about five, 10 miles away from Camus. Why? Paper mill. These, these big billowing smokestacks just belched out this nasty smell of death, and so it didn't matter how great the town looked or where it was located because you never wanted to be there because the, 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 the stench of death and odor was ever present, and it was a constant reminder that this was not a place I want to be. And so, like that paper mill, sin has caused a stench of death that just billows out and permeates every aspect of the world. All of us are living near and in the paper mill of sin. And so there's this aroma, there's a stench of death and decay hangs over all the world and it just, it should, I hope, give you a bit of a dissonance when you, when you are frustrated to say, I don't, I don't like it here. I don't like what's going on here. Or, or I'm frustrated in my circumstances. That's okay. That just tells you your nose is working. That you're not settling for anything less than, than being able to take a deep breath of, of something sweet and life-giving. Instead, when we take a, a deep breath and we get a whiff of what the world's putting out, there might be times where it even looks really good, but it doesn't pass the smell test. And we're like, I think that's right. When we replace lies, or rather replace truth with lies, when we call evil good and good evil. And so... We need to look sometimes at the fruit of what the world's doing and, and, and something is leading either to greater, more flourishing life or it's leading to greater division, despair, and even death. 
And so as we opened our service, we, we read Psalm 23, and that, right there's that delightful uh, part of the psalm where it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And we're like, yeah. And we love that part of the verse. And I was you know, meeting with a friend this week, and it's like, yeah, I don't feel like I'm in the green pastures. I was like, yeah, but the rest of the verses say, he also leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. And so I think that's a description, actually, not of limping along by ourselves in despair, but, but if we look at this triumphant procession, he says Christ is always leading us in triumphant procession. That means that we are in that parade of life, being loved and led by Christ, even when we're in the valley of the shadow of death. We are a parade of victory in the middle of a valley of despair. And so... There are times where we just know that we're in no doubt that we're in the shadow of death, but we don't need to trudge along in fear because God is with us, right? Psalm 23 says that he comforts us with a rod and a staff. That means he protects us, and it means that he leads us. And he's leading us on this march to this world, and we are to put off the aroma of Christ. And that aroma of Christ, of life, is so sweet but it's also so strong that it has the ability to overpower the stench of death. So it's not some like weak Febreze that you sprayed in you know, your restroom at halftime today. It's actually something sweet that overpowers and destroys that aroma of death. And so I think for, for us as Christians, it's, it's easy uh, at times we, when we kind of want to, you know, we're, we're in that valley of the shadow of death or we can see the, the stench of sin in the world and we, we begin to like, all right, let's just huddle up in our parade. Let's make it through this valley. I think that we are easily able to see how the world's that paper mill and we forget that we're a smokestack too. We're a paper mill too. All of us have sin. And it'll come out. It'll impact us individually. It'll affect our families. It'll affect our churches, right? It'll affect our community. And so we can blame everything on society, but we gotta look in the mirror and realize that we're not just in a town with paper mills, but we're a smokestack too. And that should lead us, I hope, to a place of humility and grace. Um, there's this famous uh, theologian uh, and author um, in, in the early um, uh, 19th century, or uh, 20th century rather, named uh, G.K. Chesterton. Uh, and uh, he was famous in London. And, and the London paper at the time put out all uh, of these um, letters to, to big thinkers of the day to say, what, would you write us an essay on what's wrong with the world today. And famously, uh, G.K. Chesterton responded with a very small letter that said, Dear Sir, I am. I am what's wrong with the world today. If we can start there and remember there, then we have an opportunity to, to repent, to be humble, to, to just put off a, a bit of a different aroma, if you will. So there's a lot here. Um, I want us to, to kind of keep going here. So if we could look at 2 Corinthians 17, chapter 2, verse 17 through 3, 3. It's 
can be easy for us to be looking for something or someone that's going to lead us and guide us um, through these valleys and, and whatnot. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes we can end up consuming uh, and we can end up uh, uh, following uh, those who may not be, be qualified. And so here Paul says this, verse 17 through 3.3. Uh, 3. He says, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letters of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that your letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts, or another translation says, hearts of flesh. We'll get to that. And so if we're wondering, like, how is transformation going to happen? How, how are we going to, are we just going to cap our smokestack? Is something new going to happen in us so that we can actually, you know, be that aroma of the knowledge of God, that we can, you know, remind ourselves that we're in that triumphant procession? Um, we need to also be able to call out, or at least rather discern, what is false. And so for Paul, he's like, you want to know who's in that triumphant procession? Well, let me tell you who's not. And he goes in here and he says, he, he asks this question right at the end of verse 16, who's sufficient? He's saying like, who, who has actually earned getting to be in that victory parade? Who belongs in that victory parade? And part of the answer to that question is there, there's some who are, he says, peddling God's word. These Corinthian, the Corinthian church um, history says has entertained teachers and preachers who they're claiming prophecy, right? Thus saith the Lord, but for the purposes of their own personal profit. And so Paul contrasts himself and, and kind of, you know, the other guys that he's rolled with and says, hey, we're not like that. He, he like actually calls it out. He's like, that, 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 we're not those guys. He doesn't name names necessarily, but they probably knew. And so he, he's contrasting himself with the crew, and he calls these other guys peddlers of God's word. The word peddler was a word that was commonly used at the time to describe certain merchants. These merchants would take good, crafted, rich, pure wine, and they'd, they'd buy some, and they'd water it down and sell it like it was the good stuff. Or sometimes, you know, they put some extra chemicals in it, right, to make it a little more potent, but not as, as, as good. And so these teachers were coming in, these preachers were coming in, and they were receiving these massive payments from, from the wealthy in the Corinthian church, but they were serving up a watered-down gospel. And Paul's saying, like, Part of that triumphant procession is remembering what's pure and what's good. And so the, the, these teachers would either hyper-spiritualize, right? Use hyper-spiritual language, but it was really just an excuse for, for minimizing sin and holiness. It's like, oh, you had this spiritual experience and you felt so good about it. And so you yeah, don't worry about your sin. You don't have to repent of anything, right? Other guys were coming in and rather than diluting, they were just putting in just a, a little bit of legalism, just for some flavor, but ruining the whole batch. 
focused primarily on the outward appearance and actions rather than actual transformation. And so it's not good news, it's not gospel because both um, the legalists uh, and the kind of experiential minimizers um, are, uh, they're both preaching a false gospel. One is uh, of self-righteousness and the other is of self-indulgence. And so the answer for that at times can be, hey, we need to be, let's be precise about our doctrine. Let's be clear about what the Bible teaches and what the Bible doesn't teach. But the answer is not just precise gospel, but it's to reject weak sauce ideas that somehow you're enough or that sin doesn't matter and begin to actually receive. Like remember the good news of the gospel isn't about what you've done, but what's been done for you. Isn't about what you've achieved, but rather what you've received. And so it's, it's going back to receiving a full cup of pure and potent mercy and grace that just warms the soul, that brings joy. So it's not just don't drink the bad stuff. Drink the good stuff. Drink deeply of the mercy and grace of God and Jesus Christ alone. And so Paul's telling them, hey, that's what we served you guys. We served you guys the good wine. And we served you guys the good wine because we're in Christ. He's talking about his identity. He's, he, he's saying our, our qualifications are that we're in the sight of God. Like, there's some accountability. Paul's like, you know, he said earlier um, in these verses that we read last week, as God is my witness, you know, check my motives. And here he's saying, hey, I'm in the sight of God. Like, if, if, if I don't preach the gospel, I'm going to be held accountable to it and for it. And so he says he's sincere in his motives and his methods are marked with integrity because he's been commissioned to actually go and preach and serve and talk. And so um, the Corinthians have had all these other guys show up. And what's theologically and spiritually true isn't always enough for us sometimes. And so um, uh, rather than just, is it true or not, these guys are showing up with these big credentials. And the church is being really impressed by people who are really impressed with themselves. And so he's saying they showed up with these letters of recommendations um, that, that likely at times were written by themselves, right? You're like, like and you're like, oh, no, man, we don't do that. We just look for pure sources of information and, and, and all that, right? Uh, and, and, but we do, right? The news media, right? At the 6 o'clock hour, we'll have our panels of experts. Well, oh, we've got to hear what the experts have to say. And then like, oh, and so, you know, you know, I'm just going to go on social media. And so we start scrolling. And we're like, oh, oh, yeah, there's my friend. They're doing this. Oh, yep, influencer, right? Thankfully, we don't do this in the church. Oh, wait, celebrity pastors. This guy's got a podcast, expert. And so at a certain point, these guys showing up with their unverifiable letters of recommendation, right? Their big social media platforms, um, you know, their podcasts, their book deals, all that stuff. Paul's saying that like them showing up and commending themselves is about as authentic as in the movie Elf, right? When Buddy makes it into New York and he pops into that one cafe, he says, congratulations, you guys did it. 
And he walks away and there's that sign that says, world's best cup of coffee, right? That's what it is. A bit of a hyperbole, right? It's, it's like the Amazon review that's written by the company that's selling the product. This is amazing, great value, love it. And you're like, yeah, this is just a Russian bot. Paul's saying, no, the, the, the letter of recommendation you're looking for, the credentials you're looking for, Corinthian church, is that I've shown up. I'm here. I love you guys. And, and I'm not about appearances, he says. He doesn't have a social media presence. He doesn't have highly respected credentials. What he has is the power of God that moves people from death to life. And Paul's saying, hey, Corinthian church, I've seen it. Some of you were, were, were Gentiles and pagans. Some of you were ultra-religious, and then you believed in the gospel. So the letter of recommendation isn't, you know, what'd you do over in Thessalonica or, or what'd you do in Antioch? It's what happened here. You are a letter of recommendation. Aspects of your life, all aspects of our life, are recommending or commending something. So Paul says, and we ask ourselves, if our life was a letter, what's it recommending? What's it commending? Is it a letter of recommendation we wrote ourselves, talking about how we're the hero? Or building a platform uh, and influence for ourselves because we think more highly than we, than we should? Or is it one where we come back and say, no, it's the power of God, where we constantly ask ourselves that question, who's sufficient? And get back to the answer, well, it's not me. It's not you. It's not us. And then being reminded about who actually is sufficient. Are we the heroes? Are we peddling the idea that we're enough? So if we're going to get back to drinking pure and potent gospel of grace, we've got to remind ourselves that we can't just take the letters that we've been writing for a long time and kind of scratch them out and redo them ourselves and everything because then it, I mean, it just gets messy, right? We need an entirely new letter written about us. And thankfully, that part of the good news of the gospel is that that's what God does. It, he says here in verse 3, rather verse, yeah, verse 3, that Christ has delivered you as a letter written not with ink, but of the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And what Paul's doing here is he's echoing back to, to language that I think is so important and foundational for us to know from the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 36 says this, verses um, 24 through 27. This is God making a promise to, to people who've been writing their own letters of recommendation, who had been not marching in victory, but had been ripped apart in exile, who'd suffered defeat. And he says, I'm going to take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries. I'm going to bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and obey my rules. If we want to drink deeply from that cup of grace, if we want to not be putting off the stench of sin and death and decay, if we don't want to not be marching 
down a trail of tears, then we have to be made new. And the problem is we can't make ourselves new. And so we, we get to and, 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 and have to rely on God that, that we need to be made new if we're going to produce something new. And so if, if true life-giving aroma is going to emanate from us, it's going to come from a changed heart. See, we always think about transformation from outside in. Change my habits, get a haircut, change my circumstances. And, and the gospel talks about transformation not from outside in but rather from inside out. And so here it's talking about a heart surgery where hearts of stone, and I know stone's cold and, and, and we're like, usually stone doesn't have a smell, but let's just, for the purposes of, these, of this text, let's just use our, our sanctified imaginations to think of a stone that also stinks. And that's what comes out of us. That you can clean yourself up as much as you want on the outside and you can modify your behavior and you can achieve all you want. But if you don't have a changed heart, you're about as ridiculous as one of those stinky smokestacks at the paper mill that somebody's just like painted a beautiful cherry tree on with blossoms. You're like, oh, that looks nice. Maybe they even like, you know, put some blossoms on, right? And, and, and you know, glued it on there and attached all that. Maybe, maybe even it transformed the smokestack enough that it actually looks like a tree. Doesn't smell like a tree. No, we need to have our smokestacks torn down to have them just completely undone, to have them be replaced with life-giving seed that by God's grace can grow into that tree that makes that sweet aroma. It's a heart transplant that happens. And God's the one who does it. He removes the heart of stone and he puts in a heart of flesh. And so we get to, to know that we have a living, tender heart beating for God and by God to produce a sweet aroma of the knowledge of God that, that, that then goes out into the world and that God is the one who's actively writing a new letter of recommendation for you. Theologically, we know that God's already written it. We're gonna be experiencing it being written as we walk through our lives. We get to hand over the pen and be reminded that the letter that God wrote for us is way better than the one we're going to write for ourselves. And so it brings us to the, the question again, though, who's, who's sufficient for this? Last two verses, and then we're done, guys. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 and 6. Paul's asked this question all the way back in verse um, 16. Who's sufficient for this triumph? And he's been answering it over these last verses, and he says this in verse 4 through 6. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Can we just be honest that when we know people and we exceed in our own lives that the pride stinks, that sin repels and yet here Paul says we can actually have I think a bit of a humble confidence 
an air of confidence when we remember that we are not sufficient, right? That we can't, like nothing we're gonna do is gonna overcome that stench of sin. It's God's work in us. It's God's work through us in Christ. And he says though that, it's, that Christ is the one who's more than sufficient to give us the courageous confidence to actually be in the presence of God, to walk out the purposes of God, to live life in community with the people of God. And so if we ask ourselves the question, who's sufficient? All of us should be able to raise our hands and say, not me, not I. And instead, remember that our confidence is never in our competence, but our confidence is always found in our Christ who our actual Savior is, the God who loves and leads us. And, and, and what I love about how God loves and leads us is he actually has, thinking to that Roman procession, gone back to the defeated captives, those who would be in oppression, and says, you are not sufficient for victory. And God then says, I'm sufficient for victory. So take off the chains. Hold your head up high. Get out from the back of the defeat in this parade. You are no longer the prisoner. You're the citizen. You're the one who's enjoying victory that you have not achieved. You are going to not be in bondage. You are going to get to be in freedom. And then he commissions these insufficient people. I'm an insufficient person. You're an insufficient person. But he commissions us to go tell other people about how sufficient God is. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit to give us comfort and confidence in our weakness and our insufficiency. And so he moves us from defeat all the way to victory. And so I just, I want you to ask yourself, where do you need your trail of tears to be replaced with a triumphant procession? And then I want you to remind yourself that in all of our circumstances, Christ is in us that we are always being led and, and we get to enjoy and embody his victory. Ask yourself, how can you spread the life-giving aroma of the knowledge of God to a world that does reek of sin and death? Are you spewing a stench of condemnation? Or are you, are you permeating your spaces with the peaceful presence of somebody who's been loved and led by God? Where do you need to stop drinking like that weak sauce, gospel-less, weak wine and start drinking deeply from pure and potent grace? And, and if you're wondering like, what's a, what's a practical way? Like if there's one practical thing I could ask us to do that I've been trying to focus on recently is like, don't start your day with the whiff of the world. Rather, start your day with the aroma of the knowledge of God. Simply put, start your day opening your Bible before you open up your social media apps. And just see how that changes your disposition as you are reminded of your destination, as you're reminded of what's actually true. And how does your life need to reflect the recommendation letter that God is writing for you and, and, and through you. If you're like, I don't think my life measures up to that. Yeah, it, it probably doesn't because the reality is that positionally, our 
position in Christ is secure. But when it comes to life growing and changing with Christ and like Christ, that's going to be a process. And so there's times where he feels like setback. It's times where it looks way less, you know, like, um, uh, you know, GameStop just shooting to the moon. And it looks way more like up and down, moving along. Inconsistent, but, but moving ahead. And where you're discouraged, remember that you are clean now. You are clean now. And he's written your name in the book of life. Remember your destination. And if in all this you're like, but I'm not in Christ. Or you're like, I'm, I feel like I'm cold and callous. I feel like I have a, a stone heart. Or I'm tired of the stench of sin overwhelming the aroma of life. If there's something in you that says, I desire that to be different, then actually take heart and realize the Holy Spirit's already grabbed a scalpel and has started to actually begin to perform surgery. So rather than holding up or or rolling back and saying, I want to hold on to that stone heart, just take a deep breath. Repent, relax, and receive a new heart that beats for God where life comes, where we don't have to be destined to defeat, but where we get to enjoy the sweet smell of victory when we simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.